This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. Oh, this whole pandemic issue and, and then your availability has been great. My availability has not been great. And so we've not been able to do this. I don't know what this is going to come out as. Um, we're sort of thinking that maybe this might work better as series where um, we can talk about like specific topics, but for the most part, you know, in terms of nutrition, um, the, the amount of new things to talk about just isn't always there. And so the interesting stuff is, is what we want to be able to do. And so I don't want to ever feel forced to do these podcasts. I want to be able to kind of have this content, right? Um, but let's go ahead and start with introductions so people that know who you are and where you can be found. So Susan, why don't you talk about that? Thanks, Paul. It's always fun to be here, and I do get to see your face, although I know most people are just listening to us. Uh, you can find me at drskleiner.com. That's my website, drskleiner.com. I'm on Facebook as Dr. Susan Kleiner. I am at Power Eat on Instagram and Twitter, and I'll be honest, I am not the most active person on social media, but I do get on there every once in a while. <laughs> so the other part that if, if you're interested in the topics that we're going to talk about and you go, man, it would be really nice to have more information, I have good news for you. Susan has a book and it's called New Power Eating, right? She has actually two books. The one that, that I actually enjoy quite a bit um, is The Good Mood Diet. I think it probably translates better for a lot of you listening that might not be, you know, the, the professional athletes and things of this nature. But, but Good Mood Diet does kind of walk into new power eating, right? I mean, it, it's, it's more or less you know, you have like these good fuels that you're going to be using to become who you're, you explore your potential was, which is a little bit of what we're going to be talking about in the podcast. And then new power eating just kind of takes that to the next level. Anything that I left off there? No, I think that's perfect. All right. So obviously I think most people know that, uh, you know, we have 1.4 million fans, uh, we're actually getting really close to 1.5 million fans um, or followers. So thank you, because that is a milestone that I could have never imagined when we first started the site. And so that's really exciting. You can follow us on, on Facebook. Uh, you know, a lot of the times we'll show transformations from our clients and then you'll see that you can actually talk to one of our coaches to see if Eat to Perform is a fit for you. And we talk to a lot of people that way. You can also talk to a coach to see if Eat to Perform is a good fit for you um, by just going to the website, www.eattoperform.com. And uh, we do have a free trial. Um, we actually started this in the pandemic and uh, we're, we're sticking to it. Um, and it's been kind of a nice addition because I think that what happened for a lot of people is they were really interested in starting you to perform, but they didn't really know if it was a great fit. So the free trial allows them to do that. The other thing that we have that I think is really helpful for a lot of people 
is you can actually choose your bonus. You can two, you choose a two week free trial or you can choose a custom meal plan, right? And the food is basically the foods that you like, right? I mean, it's prob we're probably going to talk to you a little bit about the Twinkies and the Snickers and stuff like that. Um, and we're going to try and put more real food in, in that mix. Um, but in general, we can take the way that you eat right now, build a meal plan based on how the Eat Reform days work. And if you're the kind of person that struggles getting kickstarted, that's the bonus you would probably want to choose. So there you go. That's all the housekeeping out of the way. And so today we're going to talk about some, some basic concepts. The first concept that we're going to talk about is, is metabolism. And honestly, you know, if it goes more than three to four minutes, it'll shock everyone because there's a lot that could be said related to metabolism, but it's actually you know, more simple than you think. And there's probably a lot of, of the things that you're trying to do to get success that is actually working against your metabolism, right? And, and, and we can, the thing that, that I always get when I talk about metabolism is menopause, right? So we'll, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit. Um, then in the second part of the podcast, we'll be us diving into uh, macro calculators, the equations those are based off of, and why those are those are good tools, um, but there are some things that you probably need to know related to the history of that, the way that your body responds, and things of this nature. Susan will give you, you know, much of the history and things of that nature, and then I will kind of go into some of what we see with the numbers and how we do it that you know, might provide you a little bit perspective at, for macro calculators. Okay, so 101 on metabolism. This is, this is one of the things that uh, you, you can say something really super simple. Um, and, you know, whenever someone says to me that, you know, they have a broken metabolism or their metabolism is broken, and virtually every single person is aware that you know if they eat more that that is a positive for their metabolism but their head cannot put together how it works because they realize that they need to eat less right to maybe reach their goals i think we can talk about that eat less part in the second part right where we're talking about the equations and things of this nature but let's just give the the just you know 10,000 you know forest view on metabolism because honestly everyone kind of knows it but if you eat your metabolism goes up right um and and it's not that difficult i think the problem that people run into is you know just the specifics. So let's try and get the high level view and then we can go into the bigger discussion. So um, I think definitions are really important so that we're talking about the same thing, communicating clearly. And so the term metabolism is sort of 
your the the how much your your energy your body burns basically metabolic rate is something different and it's not easy to change your metabolic rate the metabolic rate is like how much energy or how many calories you burn per moment per per kilogram per second per exercise per something metabolism is just your overall ability to to burn calories stay alive all the things that go on that require energy in your body and so when we talk about metabolic rate there it is not easy to change that you there you know um genetics plays a big role in determining your metabolic rate but there are things that we can do that alter metabolic rate they're quite specific then there's your your sort of and that's kind of your burn rate right your metabolic rate is your burn rate can i just then stop there, you for can i just stop you for just yeah. a second because i think there's some context that i can add there that you know what you're essentially saying is is that if you're a 124 pound woman and your mom was a 124 pound woman and your grandmother was a 124 pound woman and then all the people in history were 124 that is a contributor to your genetic makeup and your metabolic rate right and 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 so so we can we can talk about that piece my only my only concern is that you and i are having a conversation on the internet right and someone's eating 800 calories right now as a 124 pound woman wondering you know and she's you know 58 went through menopause and going is my metabolism broken it's like well you know the one thing that that i think is a great describer of that is economic opportunity is a weird way to explain it but 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 follow me here and i think it'll help if you were born with zero money right in america in theory you are you could climb the ladder and you can become whatever you become right and many examples of people who've done it right the problem that you run into is that metabolic rate and economic opportunity work kind of in reverse right is that you know you have some disadvantages when you don't have money right that become advantages when you do have money the metabolic rate and and metabolism in general you have some advantages when you're younger that you lose when you're over and the reason why i'm bringing those up as a comparison is because whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little money you still have opportunity right like in terms of metabolic rate what what i what i so i i have clients that are in their 70s and i have to have some frank discussions with them i'm like you are working with some issues you are working with some problems that nature just is trying to kill you all the time, right? It's trying to tear down your muscle. It's trying to do all these different things. And you 100% are fighting against nature to stay alive right now, right? Longevity of life, things of this nature, keep your metabolism high. But what you can't do 
is give up and go, well, I'm just broken. Right. And that, that, and, and, and certainly many people do. Right. And as you get older, they become less active and, and there's all these things going on. Right. And certainly you have a lot of advantages when you're younger, but it doesn't mean that you stop as you get older. And what happens is, is that around our thirties and forties as, as women and men, we kind of get into these dieting cycles that harm your metabolism. Right. And so, so with that context, now let's go into increasing metabolic rate, right? And, and talking about that, because like you're saying, there's, there's not huge advantages there, especially as you get older. Um, but, but what I, the context that, that I want to talk about and the context that I think is important for the audience listening is they're sitting here going, I'm eating 900 calories and I can't lose any weight, right? And a little bit of what we're going to be talking about in this one, a little bit of what we talked about in the last one, and a little bit of what we're going to talk about in the next one is that you are your own enemy at this point, right? Like if you just eat 900, your body is going to adjust to that and you're actually causing some of the problems that you're experiencing. So I just wanted yeah, to add so, that context. So, so it's not only your genetics, um, genetics play a role, but you can't fall back on that and say um, nothing else matters because that's not true. So there are other things. And when you look at equations that people use all the time, we know that gender matters. We know that age matters. Um, what, what, plays an enormous role. And when we look at what are the best formulas for estimating energy requirements, some of them really rely only on lean body mass or fat-free mass. And so, well, that number we can alter. We can change how much muscle we have on our body. And so, yes, age matters. It plays a role. Gender matters. It plays a role. It's much small, probably a smaller role. Gender is probably rolled into um, in these older equations, percent body fat um, or lean body mass. Um, and then, and then metabolic rate can be changed and altered over time by a number of different factors. How much muscle you have on your body is one how underfueled you are is another because it will ultimately alter your internal physiology your overall metabolism how many calories you burn every day that's that's the that's what most people talk about most of the time and they make the the inference that it's changing their metabolic rate so in talking about metabolism um, how many calories you burn all day long can be dramatically affected by a whole lot of things that we do and that we, a whole lot of things that we have control over because as we were starting to talk about, our body is a dynamic system. It's not static. Meaning we, when people talk about the human body as a machine, like a performance sports car, it, it's kind of a flawed 
um, example, because a sports car can go full out all the way until it absolutely runs out of gas. And it will perform at peak levels all the way until it runs out of gas. The human body will not. Our body is constantly keeping track of how much fuel is on board, how much fuel is coming in, how are all our systems working? And it's going to adjust and readjust and readjust our calorie burn all day long. And the way that it adjusts that is by powering down a whole bunch of systems that actually support our health every day. And so, so that is what happens over time when you are under fueling, you will be able to perform really well, and this is where the misconception came from, that we can do really high intensity exercise for a, a, a significantly long period of time, an unexpected long period of time, while we are still under fueling our body. Because the body actually fuels the demand that is highest. It, 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 the highest energy demand first. So think your high energy exercise, think your CrossFit training. That gets fueled first and whatever is left over in the calories that you have is what's available for your bone mineral metabolism, your reproductive function, your cardiovascular function when you're not exercising, your immune system, your hair, skin, and nails, your all that your brain, you know, the whole rest of the day, which is why you get brain fog, which is why women get brittle bones, which is why our reproductive system shuts down right away. And when women lose their periods, they, they think that that's good. And it's actually a sign that things are really going in the wrong direction. Immune system and the level of colds and, and, and um, uh, openness to, to other diseases that highly underfueled athletes have, ultimately a career cut short because our foundational energy needs have become dramatically underfueled. How can we switch that the other way? As you're saying, if you just eat more, you're going to burn more calories on so many levels. We have just to start with what we call, and I think you talk about the thermic effect of food. When you eat, you burn 10% more calories than when you don't eat. That's just how we, how we calculate it out. Maybe sometimes you burn more, maybe sometimes you burn a little less. On average, you burn 10% more calories every time you put something in your mouth. And then now you've given your body the fuel it needs to ramp up its fuel utilization. And you can build strength and power and and you can and and all of the connective tissue and all your other systems come back online which all demand fuel so you've raised your total calorie burn every single day when you eat more so we'll 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 end on that note okay because i think and because we'll move into the next part but we'll we'll be talking a little bit about some of these things also as we talk about the equations that are good and bad right there's there's positives to it and there's negatives to it but the one thing that i want to kind of just clarify that well there's two things i want to really hone in on the fact that people overreact 
when they start to gain weight, especially when they're inactive, right? And they view it as a calories in, calories out issue. And what they're sort of forgetting is that calories in affect calories out. Exactly. Right? And so they kind of paint themselves into a corner. It's probably a bigger issue for women, but it's a big issue for men also. Right. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that, that I could talk about, but, you know, uh, you know, I've talked about, you know, hormone replacement, right. Um, and specifically from a, a man's perspective with testosterone, but women also are low in testosterone. I've put on 10 pounds of muscle since I started um, testosterone replacement. That's a little bit of what Susan's talking about, right? Is that, you know, being deficient, you know, and oh, by the way, I'm dealing with an injury, right? And so, so I have not been able to, you know, have the amount of production that I normally would expect for myself. So I think what happens with 30s and 40s, and oh, by the way, some of that low testosterone, I would have done to myself, right? Because I did not have the information that I mm -hmm. have right now. And that's why I actually did make the decision to go ahead and, and do it was because, you know, I went into it with this deficiency and wanted to know what it would be like to be working um, with more cylinders kind of working. You know, certainly as we get older, like I said, you know, my knees, I, I had surgery on my left knee. Now I'm, I'm, I'm actually going in for another MRI on my right knee, right? Oh, wow. Um, so, so, well, what, what happened was when I got my left knee fixed, um, I realized how bad my right knee was, right? Uh, I was like, wow, that's what a, that's what a good knee feels like, you know? So, so, um, so yeah, I, I can't remember the, the, the second thing that I was going to talk about, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to come up as we're talking about, you know, these equations. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about was macro calculators and, you know, one of the things that happened very early on with, with Ethereum is we had a macro calculator and we would put it out there. You know, there was a macro calculator that you could download from Ethereum. This was when we were in more of the information mode rather than kind of the specifics that I think are a little bit more helpful. What we were trying to point out to people is that they were drastically under eating already, right? And that that was what the calculator consistently showed, right? And, you know, what, so then you go, well, how is, how can that be? I mean, the catch McCardle equation says I should be losing, you know, a pound a week, right? And people say this all the time and, 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 like Susan was saying, there's Catch McCardle, there's Harris Benedict, there's there's been a number of adjustments over many years. And I would argue that many of those adjustments are actually trying to adjust to the conditions that we've created, right? It's trying to answer mm -hmm. why you know, so, so if we look at the history of dieting, like one of the most important things we've talked about a number of times on this podcast was the Minnesota starvation study, right? And 
you know, you can Google it. We're not going to go over the history of it. But what, the most interesting part about the Minnesota starvation study was that it was men and their baseline calories were set at 4,000 calories. These were, you know, times where the, the, you know, these were Minnesota farmers and Wisconsin farmers and Iowa farmers. They were active people, right? And when they showed up in Minnesota at the University of Minnesota, you know, really trying to kind of do their patriotic duty because many of them- well, they, they were conscientious objectors. Yeah, right. But, but there was, so like there's a history um, museum here. Mm-hmm. And, and one, of the, one of the narratives was, yes, we were conscientious objectors, but there was, there was, this was our way to contribute. Right, exactly. And they had no idea what they were actually volunteering to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was really striking. But what, what I think is really striking to most people is that the calories that they landed on that starved them are calories that men right now routinely use mm-hmm. for fat loss. And, and this kind of goes back to the metabolism conversation, right? But, you know, you kind of end up being what you're doing to yourself, right? And these people were part of a study. And like you said, they didn't know what was coming or, or things of this nature. And it changed their whole relationship with food. But they were, the lowest calories that they were eating, as I recall, was like 1,700. And, and they didn't just like start them eating 1,700 calories, right? They kind of starved them over time. And what we've become as a society that's become less active in things of this nature is less active and we're kind of causing some of these things. Oh, certainly. You have to know that when you put your numbers in a, a calculator because what you're going to want to do is you're going to put in the input, right? So, you know, you put in a number and the calculator says, how much weight would you like to lose? And you're like, as much as possible, as soon as possible. Right. So the calculator has no, no, the calculator is not a person. The calculator is not going to tell you the problems that exist with all the things. It's just going to give you the information and spit it out. And then you're going to go, wow, that seems extreme, but I'm up for it. Right. And then you're up for it for three days and then you're done because you realize, whoa, I was eating a lot more than that before this. And then now I'm eating a lot. Then there's the opposite side, right? Of the people that go, whoa, like that is saying that I could eat that to lose weight and I'm eating less than that now, right? And I probably been intuitively eating less than that for a long time, right? So why don't you go into like just the short version, you know, we, you and I tend to be long-winded similarly, um, the, just because these are these are difficult topics, right? These are things that that you know are almost religion to people, right? Um, and so, talk to me a little bit about kind of the history of this, 
the 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 difference you know like you talked about harris benedict from the 40s the equations that they were building were based on men eating 4000 calories and women eating 25 to 3000 calories right the average woman was so much more active even you know because you look at the farmers right farmers are always we're, we're moving from agrarian to, to serve uh, service even even agrarian to industrial you would have seen very active jobs right women and a lot of the things this was you know steven ah, shoot what's steven's name um the fitness over fatness um he's a professor oh can't he's uh he got into a lot of yeah he got into a a lot of trouble saying like some basic stuff yeah can you be can you be fat and fit he that was his research out of the cooper clinic yeah right that was dr stephen blair yeah and so i had stephen talking about it and it, it was just so funny because the context of what he was saying was that you know Farmers get used all the time, right? And and you go, yep, farmers, they were really active. And then you don't realize that women didn't have washing machines. Women didn't have dishwashers. You know, the, a lot of the things that, that, you know, nowadays, you know, are roles that both men and women fulfill, right? But But even in the case of both men and women, men aren't doing highly industrial jobs. They aren't doing highly agrarian jobs um, and women, you know, the things that, that would have kept them more active, they're also not doing. And that was sort of the point that Stephen Blair was making. And then he kind of got caught up into like this political movement of, you know, well, those are not, you know, traditionally women. And he wasn't saying that necessarily. He was just saying that that change happened at some point and we have not figured out how to address the issue as it relates to activity right and that that you know when you look at the foods you know i mean think about it realistically you know it was very common to have hash browns right eggs and bacon right and everyone had it and these are hypercaloric foods um and you would wake up and you would eat it and then you would have steak and potatoes for dinner and when you added up the calories, it ended up being 4,000 calories a day, but you burned 4,000 calories a day. So you, or, or, oh, that was the other thing that I wanted to mention is it's not all about burning calories. A lot of it is about, is, is about using those calories, right? And if you use those calories, because people get so focused with these equations about burning calories. I want to burn calories. I want to burn fat. I want to get rid of fat. And it's like, Okay, but that focus doesn't allow you to build the engine that allows for better metabolic rate. Like Susan's saying, is it this massive thing that's going to give you, you know, a thousand more calories a day? No, it's not, right? But it could give you 300 more calories a day, as an example. And then those 300 calories, as you start to build onto that, you just naturally become more active. You naturally digest more. That's part of, you know, the metabolic um, or metabolism, all these different things, right? Um, and so these are all things that sort of get lost in the less is more model, right? 
And so um, when we talk about, you know, the equations and Harris Benedict and, and moving to catch McArdle and, and their whole thing, we have to talk about the environment that existed when the Harris Benedict equation happened. So <laughs> that's a lot of rambling that's probably going to take a bit to unpack. So um, the way equations that estimate or predict anything work is that they are based on, uh, when in humans, a subject pool. So in Harris-Benedict, in uh, Mifflin-St. Jor, in J.J. Cunningham, it doesn't matter what estimated energy equation you, you look at, the underpinnings of the um, description of the population pool used to create the data that, that helped design or drive the, the equation that gives you a predicted estimate of, in this case, energy needs, is, is absolutely fundamental to the accurate use of that equation in an individual. So let's start with Harris Benedict, as you said. Um, there was no one that was obese. There was no one that was even overweight. There, were no, there was no, everyone was Caucasian. Uh, there, there was a wide range of age, but there, and that's why age was a predictor. But, there was no one that was a chronic dieter and chronically underfed. Um, so in both instances, so, so, and the impact that those things have on predicted energy requirements, we are finding are big. And so, um, so when you say, well, I use Harris Benedict and you feel very scientifically grounded, because you know that that is a, a it, was, it was good methodology in developing that equation, that part is true. But does it apply to your client? Maybe, maybe not. It may be way off. Um, that's why there have been the evolution of these equations, starting with Ketch and McArdle, where they were trying to figure out how do we estimate energy needs in an active, in a highly active population? Well, lean body mass must matter. And so they took, it was not a Harris Benedict, it was a Bohr formula, it was a little different. They took a formula that was accepted and then at, found that lean body mass was an additional data point that gave a lot of predictive value. And so when you use Ketch and McArdle, you need to have lean body mass data. If you have percent body fat, you can get to lean body mass. You can, you know, sort of reverse calculate that. But if you then have a formula that uses fat-free mass, like a much more current and highly regarded formula of looking at low energy availability, they are not interchangeable. Lean body mass and fat-free mass are not the same. And so you've got to have the right factors you, to get to any of these predictive equations and understanding what, is, what are the underpinnings of the subject pool? What are the descriptions of the subject pool? If you've got 
a black female athlete, well, using Harris Benedict is going to be way off. It's not a good predictor. If you have a, a man or a woman who has been obese most of their lives since they were an adolescent and they have yo-yo dieted for 30 years, none of these equations are going to be very close. And so um, in those kinds of cases, it is the expertise that comes into play. It means that when I work with someone, different than someone who has a nutrition course or two as part of their training, which is better than nothing, and they are taught one or two methods to get to energy needs, I may use four or five energy equations. I may send that person to get a DEXA scan and get their fat-free mass. I may use, frankly, a really good dietary analysis to figure out what are they actually eating, a really good exercise analysis and, and activity analysis, what are they actually likely burning, and that's an estimate, and what's their body weight history? What's been happening? That may be the best predictor of how much their body is actually burning now. And once I see what they're burning now, I can compare it to actually maybe some of these equations that are giving me some predictive values. And very often, as you're saying, Paul, someone who one may predict needs 3,000 calories a day, may only be burning 1,200 because that's all they're consuming. And so their body's going to conserve and not burn any more calories. And they are restricting and restricting and they continuously lower the calorie, their own calorie need. And that's why I like energy availability as a calculation for women, for active women, because what that tells us is that you, you have to have good data on their energy intake. You have to have fat-free mass. And once you have that, you are calculating their, and their energy output for their highly active time. And so once you have those three pieces of data, you know the calories left over for everything else that they need, their foundational needs, as I said. And, and as an expert, I can access those data points and I can say, I know where the ceiling is that we don't ever wanna go below because once we go below that number in a female, we know that her foundational systems start to go offline, that her reproductive hormone, um, hormones become suppressed. And that then is the beginning of the lowering of metabolism, of her calorie burn. And so if you think that energy balance is the way you want to go, which is what many of these calculations are based on, energy balance, you may be balanced because your outgo and your intake are, are equivalent but you are far below your potential. And if you are under fueling, you may be only, you, if you're under fueling, you're eating 1200 calories, now you're burning 1200 calories. Well, by classic standards, that's the goal. But what we understand today is that 
energy balance does not mean health and energy balance doesn't mean that you're meeting your potential because when you're under fueling, you're under burning. And, and we want to raise energy intake. And I have done this in almost every single female client that I have seen in years, in decades. They come in, I raise their calories by 800 to 1,000 calories a day. And all of a sudden, not only do they feel better, do they perform better, but they look amazing. They get ripped. They're not gaining, they don't gain fat at all. They're finally able to move and burn the calories while they're sitting in a chair, as well as their everyday activity and during their physical activity, they are burning more calories. Well, and they're using more calories, right? One of yes. the things that you just said about being ripped, what a lot of people don't understand is that let's say that you run through a fat loss cycle. <clears throat> Oftentimes when you're at your lowest calories, you're a little dehydrated, um, you're a little drawn out, things of this nature. As calories come back, see, this is, this is the part that Susan and I are talking about that is not, even to this day, reverse dieting and, and getting calories to where, you know, they would, you would want a client to be is still a very small part of the industry. It's, it's still the, 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 the part of the industry that is driven by much of the conversation is just the, what's it going to take for me to be less. Right. Mm -hmm. And what people don't realize and, and we try to show this because one of the things that we've done lately with Eat Reform that's been kind of fun is we are showing this. We're showing that at the lowest weight, the people are not the leanest. They do not look the leanest, mm -hmm. right? What happens is when the calories come back, they look the leanest and they can do the most, right? And so that has been very enlightening for people. Um, and, and, and that's part of, part of the thing. What I want to remind people of, because Susan keeps talking about the equations, which you know, are a big part of this discussion. We're talking about online calculators. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. these, these calculations, everyone is viewing it. And the way they're always, you know, the, the saying, if, if you're, a, you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? right? If, if you are just looking to lose weight all the time, you're kind of viewing data wrongly, right? And, and oftentimes you need somebody like myself or Susan to look at your data. But 100% what we're talking about is that dieting can be a part of what you're doing. But for, I would say, 90% of people, it's over dieting that is actually causing the problem that they, are, that, that they think they, they have and not the solution, mm -hmm. right? That you have to go these long cycles where you're not. Now, there's every bit of person in all of this conversation. But what I can tell you, so recently, you know, I was going to save this for, for the next podcast, but recently... Um, we put out a request for women that are eating over 3,000 calories in eating form. And we just got just a ton of people, right? Because we have a lot of women that are eating over 3,000 calories. They're not elite athletes or anything like this. 
many of whom are over 200 pounds. One of the people that's eating over 3,000 calories started at 310. She's at 250 right now and has never eaten lower than 3,000 calories, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and that stands in contrast to the message that most obese people get. And so then you go, well, how is she doing it? Because I'm eating 1,100 calories and I can't lose weight and I'm also 250 pounds. The 1,100 calories is what you're doing to yourself, right? that isn't allowing you your full genetic potential. And that's the point here is that if you use these calculators wrongly, right, there is no human intervention that is allowing you to actually do the more correct thing. And you have to get to that place with normal. And that really, really matters. And so when you look at an online calculator, one of the things that, that I tried to prove at one point, and this was a fun experiment because I did it for 30 days, and I knew it just from what my experience had been, but there was all of this discussion about my Fitbit's wrong, my Apple Watch is wrong, all this, you know, they, they tell me these calories, I should be losing two pounds a week and I'm not, right? And it's like, well, you know, your issue is homeostasis, right? Is, is basically your body is always trying to find balance. That's what homeostasis it says. You can look at the Wikipedia page. Um, and, 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 and what basically is happening is that you are creating the issue that you're having because you're scared to death to eat anything because, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're eating drastically low, of course, you're going to end up binging at some point, right? And then you hit those scale two days later, and your weight is up three or four pounds. And that sends you the message that food's the enemy, right? Food is not an ally for you. And and that can set up some really bad, you know, waterfalls as it relates to how you view food and, and things of this nature. But what what I desperately want people to know, is that for 30 days, I ate my Fitbit number, right? And the goal of the 30 days was to simply stay the same weight, right? And so on the 30th day, I just ate the number for calories. And on the 30th day, I weighed the exact same thing. What is that information telling you? Here's what you should hear when you hear that, because my calorie intake was over 4,000, right? It was 4,500, 5,000 calories some days because um, I'm eating a lot of food. I'm staying active. I'm doing a lot of great work in the gym, right? What it shows you is that on the top end, the Fitbit is also wrong, <laughs> right? It can't measure things perfectly. You're right. If you have an Apple Watch, if you have a Garmin, all of them have used different equations. What I'm starting to see with wearables is that they're, they're estimating lower and lower and lower. They're adjusting to you somewhat based off of AI, right? Because they're seeing 
you know, hundreds of thousands of users mm -hmm. and the, the, their, their calorie burn isn't, isn't as high. And part of the reason why is because they're not pushing the top end, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so when I was at the top end, I was able to use those calories. I was able to burn those calories, but ultimately it was almost limitless, you know, the amount of food that I could eat as long as I was staying active. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you think that there's no relationship to injuries, hormones, things of this nature, one of the great things that, um, you know, a mutual friend of ours talks about quite a bit is that volume matters as it relates to micronutrients. We talk a lot about macronutrients, right? Mike, Mike T. Nelson. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about macronutrients. If you're eating low and supplement with every single vitamin out there, you should know that if you were eating a normal amount of food, you would be meeting most of your micronutrient, you know, requirements, no matter what, right? It's just this narrative of less that has sort of kind of consumed us. So uh, I'm going to give you the last word because I think that that's a great place. That's all I really wanted to have the discussion about, right? Macro calculators are useful. They're a little bit more useful on the high side than they are on the low side, but it depends on how long you've been dieting, right? Right, right. And you know where you are, like you said, if you have a, a high lean body mass, if you're very muscular, it, you know, it really, I guess I don't want to say that in particular. What I want to say is you have to know the population for which the data was, from which the data was collected in the calculator. So if you look up Katchen McArdle or you look up Harris Benedict or you look up Mifflin St. Jor, you can search on the internet what was the subject population and the description of that population that contributed to the data that were used to create the equation? And if you reflect that public, that population, if it was, if they had women and men, if they were active, if they were between, you know, 20 and 60 years old, uh, if they were Caucasian and that fits you, then these numbers may be close. If you are, uh, if, if you don't fit that, then you need to look at this with, you know, with some skepticism and say, oh, maybe this is good for me, maybe it's not. Um, most of the online equations are, are the same. They're mostly from most of the same data uh, with some adjustments here and there. And, and so, if you are using that, again, um, I, I encourage people, first of all, to know that when you're calculating your basal metabolic rate, that is not your total energy need. That's your need for never getting out of bed in the morning. And it is not a good number to use as your dieting number, figuring, well, I'm just going to burn off all my other calories and that's going to help me lose weight. You need to also calculate in your activity factor, which a lot of people don't. They go with either their 
some equations are basal metabolic rate, some are resting metabolic rate. None of, neither of those are even close to adding the activity burn that you've got. So, so again, if you're doing this on your own, you, 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 you need to know that you, you may be way off um, or you may be somewhat close if you're doing it right and, and everything in between. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, when we as coaches, we don't really rely on these equations solely, right? Um, right. It's, it's a factor, right? I would, I would say that um, much of what has become the thought process related to ether form really started with the calculations, right? More on the top end, right? We were, we were really kind of pushing people like, hey, look, let's explore your genetic potential, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, when you pull people down from a calorie, I mean, like people hate it when I say this, and, and some of it does relate to your dieting history. Like the more you diet, the worse you are at dieting, right? People hate that because, you know, they view diet as the answer, whereas a lot of time it's becoming part of the problem. But, but what they don't consider is that if they explored their metabolic math, which is what we've been talking about all this time, they would naturally have better math. And then you can use that math to occasionally, you know, do some weight maintenance that allows you to reach some aesthetic goals and things of this nature. But, but there's a lot of points to that equation. It's not just if I weigh less, I'll be happy because frankly, <laughs> you know, I, I think anybody listening to this, if you've ever been your leanest, if you've ever been, you want to talk to some of the most unhappy people in the world, talk to the people that are starving at 4%, right? <laughs> So, so, so you, you got to realize that some of what you want or think you want is actually kind of part of the problem. And so macro calculators are helpful. I think they're more helpful on the high end, right? But they're still not perfect. And, and, and you, I mean, Susan said it, I, I wish we were highlighting it more at that time. You are dynamic. You are not static, right? And that dynamic part of you is the one thing that you want to allow to express for the rest of your life, right? All right, so we will end on that note. I appreciate everybody being here. And once again, I do apologize that we're doing these a little bit more sporadically. Some of it's based on availability, but at the same time, you know, we, we you know, there's just not always stuff to talk about, right? And so, so it takes, takes a few weeks to kind of get some good topics so we'll appreciate that and i appreciate everybody listening and uh, we'll talk to you later